Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Haggai 1 verse 2 through 5. We're just so grateful that he skipped us in a season where it looked like things were falling apart. But in reality, I truly believe that God was just shifting some things around. So with that being said, I am excited for for a second season. I am in full expectation for what the Lord is about to do in this season. I don't know if you guys can feel the shift of what's about to take place throughout the nations of the earth or the shift that has already been taking place. God is posturing his children to be ready and readiness requires instructions, right? So I'm excited for what the Lord is about to dispense as we enter this new era. The Lord is truly about to show us that he alone is God. That has been the prayer that's been emanating from my spirit for the past year, including that of repentance. I mean, what can be more exciting than God showing his sovereignty, right? There is nothing more exciting than that. So my prayer for this next season is for the Holy Spirit to take us deeper as we work with him. So Father, we thank you. That just as you promised you would be with Moses, you are with me. Here I am surrendering surrendering it all to you. We permeate this atmosphere with love and adoration for you. We love on you, not just today, but every day. We magnify your holy name. We glorify your holy name. For you alone are God. You sit high and you look down low. You reign over nations. You reign over kingdoms. You are the king of all the earth. So, Father, we prophetically decree and declare that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that this second season will push your people forth to go deeper in you. Let your word change lives. Let it consume our very being. Let it consume us, Father. So we are changed to become more and more like you. Thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. For in this space of humility, I hear your voice. Father, we thank you that all things have already been established in you. I pray that the word that you have placed in my heart will not only strengthen us, but direct us in a way that we should go as we move forth on our journey with you. Give us clarity. Give us perspective and understanding. And Lord, As I always say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock, my strength, my redeemer, my everything. 
So back in October, I inquired of the Holy Spirit about our next step for the second season. And um, the book of Haggai was dropped in my spirit. So here we are, three months later, finally releasing what the Lord has been speaking through his word. I believe the Holy Spirit has something to say. This word comes to encourage the remnant of God. This word comes to warn a people about their conduct. This word comes to redirect our path. In these next few moments, I will try to convey the word of the Lord to the best of my ability, just as it was given to me by highlighting verses that were pressed upon my heart to expound on. There is so much to unpack here, so this will definitely be a series. Holy Spirit, flow through me. Rest upon me, for I know that you have made me your dwelling place. Anoint your daughter, anoint your servant to speak your words with boldness and authority, for I know that apart from you, I am nothing. So Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active, sustaining all things. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the first book of Haggai, starting from chapter 2 through 11. We will be reading out of the ESV version. You guys bear with me for some of these names are extremely hard to pronounce. So if I butcher them, just please. (laughs) And it states, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he will earn wages, does so, to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came too little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called forth a drought on the land, in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. This epistle takes place 70 years after the exile of the Israelites from the, Babylon, from the Babylonian captivity. Haggai was one of the main prophets of God that challenged the people's way of doing things. So you see, whenever God sends a prophet, it is to direct, to warn, to encourage 
admonish, to teach, to intercede, and to counsel a people. Prophets bring forth the word of the Lord and calls the people to respond. The role of a prophet is to be the mouthpiece of God. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to set some things in order, to direct the path of a people that were growing lethargic, or some may say a a people that became apathetic. So here we have a people stating with complete confidence that the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple of God, yet the Lord's prophet Haggai or Haggai says otherwise. So based on this fact alone, we can see that the people's heart weren't discerning of the time and season of what God was trying to establish or what God was trying to do because their hearts weren't aligned with his. In the, few, in the first few verses, we see the Lord of hosts questioning the motives of these people. It's almost as if, you know, these people didn't even belong to him. God's question was to indict them for their propensity to selfishness. Such selfishness is evident when the Lord of hosts raises the question, why are you living in paneled houses or some um, other translations have it written as luxurious houses while my house is in ruins? When you think of the word luxurious, right? What are some descriptions or adjectives that comes to mind? I think of, when I think of luxurious, I think of opulence. I think of wealthy, self-indulgence, you know, someone was comfortable, So I want us to get the picture here. Then the text proceeded to let us know the infrastructure of what causes the house of God to be in ruins. Well, I want us to take a look at the definition of in ruins. Ruins means destruction or disintegrated or being destroyed. Something that's been reduced, a state of decay. This is how the Lord sees the state of his house in our day. People with misaligned priorities, people using the church of God as a means to riches, church leaders being chosen by people that God has not himself chosen. What a travesty. People at the heart of ministry defiling, exploiting, and adultering the word of God for popularity contest. The church has become a place of disorderly conduct with no reverence for the sovereign God. We've polluted the things of God with our egocentric desires, doing the work for God, not the work of God. So therefore, the spirit of God has dried up amongst the church, amongst the people. Therefore, we've labored in vain. We aren't afraid to boast on our accomplishments or our secular interest. Yet, when it comes to the things of God, we become these terribly remiss individuals. We become hasty, slothful, downright negligent to the things of God. We, the church, are spirit- spiritually deteriorating, and the Lord says, Enough. Consider your ways, says the Lord. Repent of your wicked ways. So, to consider something, is to think carefully about something, typically before making a decision. The word ways here is referred to someone's conduct, 
someone's morality or ethos, ideals, way of life. So the Lord is saying for us to think carefully about our way of life and to repent. What is repentance exactly? Repentance is the action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. It involves a change of mind and a change of behavior. Let me just put it out there. Without forsaking our sins, we cannot find God. For I've said this multiple times in the past or in our previous season, that sin and God cannot occupy the same space. Repentance is the door to mercy. So the Lord is saying in this hour to truly consider your ways. The word says you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag fill with holds or a bag with holds. The implication of this verse here is to simply let us know that selfishness, that selfish ambitions, wrong motives, and the worldly substance of this world will always leave us unfulfilled, regardless of what we do. We work much, but we have little money because our money isn't invested into the things of God, so we've labored in vain. The text give us a clear visual of earned wages being put into bags with holes. I'd like you to take a moment and visualize that. The word in vain here means emptiness, meaning we work, but we have nothing to show for it. The Lord says to earnestly consider your ways in this hour. For what have you gained by seeking self at the sacrifice of God? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. It doesn't say seek the world first and all these things shall be added unto you. It says seek first the kingdom of God. And our Lord is so full of love and of mercy. He invites us to get it right. And right now he is inviting us to get it right. And how does he, how does he do that? Well, he does it by instructing us. But prior to instructing us on how to move forward, he wants us to understand that our ways of doing things, our ways of thinking have been skewed. So he sends his prophet Haggai to be his mouthpiece, to direct or redirect our path, to be rightly aligned with his purpose. And when we look at verse 8, verse 8 is the perfect Example of this direction, and it states, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the hills, and bring wood, and build a house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. This is the Lord's invitation. I truly see it as a command of action. This is God explicating the steps of what's going to please and honor him. Notice the very first thing they were to do was to move. 
right? Meaning that they had to change position, go up to the hills. Some translations say mountains. Those two words are interchangeable. But my first question was, why the mountains or hills? I know that, you know, that mountains or hills are metaphoric for the principle for the multiplicity of things we go through in life. Could it be that the mountain was a physical representation of gaining a new perspective? So what God was saying to them and currently speaking to us is to go up to the hills or the mountains. And as you gain a new perspective, he needs us to bring wood down and build the house. God spoke to their present in our future at the same time. Isn't that amazing? Like, God is really out here, y'all. He is, and he is speaking. All right, let me just go back to the text. I need you to bring wood down and build the house. Wood is used for structural purposes. Anything anything structural needs a solid foundation. What is this solid foundation, you may ask? Well, if we were to take a look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, it states, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which means that our foundation has to be Jesus, for he is the cornerstone in which the house was built. Get to work. Go to the hills and bring wood down and build the house. Listen, family. There is no easy shortcut in our service for God. To build is to construct. Constructing means establishing a thing. To rebuild is to reconstruct, to repair. Could it be that the Lord wants to repair his church? This past year, we saw a complete overhaul within the church. The church couldn't physically come together for worship. We resulted to virtual services. While many churches soared, others fell apart. Could it be that the churches that fell apart was God's way of realignment? Could it be that the churches that fell apart, God's glory had departed? Could it be that God is no longer entertaining people, leaders, churches with selfish motives in his house? He is uprooting the unfaithful. And he says enough of the lukewarm Christianity. And to the remnant, he says, get to work, for there is work to be done. Take heed of what the Lord is saying. Build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The word says that God does not live in a temple made by men. Could it be that God is asking us to build the house in which he has called forth while simultaneously building the temple of our hearts? As I was looking at this specific verse, I couldn't help but think that the word house is interchangeable with the word temple, and it is closely related to the word heart. So we know that the house, the church, is a physical representation of God's kingdom. It can also represent our bodies. So if we're the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells and the implication of this verse is that in order for God to be glorified, the house, the temple, our bodies, our heart posture must mirror that of God. 
In order for something to be mirrored, it needs to follow a pattern or a blueprint. So what is this pattern or blueprint that we speak of? Since God is speaking about building the house or the temple, this could be presented as twofold here. Number one, being the only blueprint one should mirror should be that of Jesus' ministry. Number two, the building of the temple of our hearts should mirror the heart of Jesus, meaning undivided consecration to the will of God, to the will or to the will of the Father. It's vitally important that we understand that in the primitive church, Jesus not only selected his apostles, he ordained and gave them power to act in his name and do his work. And most importantly, the nature of this work consisted of preaching the gospel of Jesus, demonstrating the dunamis power of God as they bear witness in the name of Jesus. So my proposed question to you today is, whose blueprint are you mirroring? In these next few verses, I want to show you biblical principles of what happens when we're caught up doing our own thing or when we're not in alignment with God. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to unravel these verses in a way that brings clarity. So listen to this. Verse 9 through 11 states, You look for much. And behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. As I meditated on this specific verse, the Holy Spirit whispered, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. Jesus. Our reference scripture to that specific verse will be that of Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And it states, Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely, I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. I was like, Holy Spirit, what do you mean? And before I could finish my sentence, he took me back to time when I was watching the movie, um, The Son of God. In this particular sequence of the movie, Jesus had entered the temple and man, was he furious. He turned tables. He drove people out because of the dealings of what were taking place in his temple. 
People were exchanging currency to buy or sell animals for sacrificial purposes. As I sat there, I understood this gave me a clear visual of how unpleased God is with the church and his people. Like their mode of operation, we're ripping people off. It was distasteful to God. And so is our current state. And so is this current state of the church. Some people are still playing church. Meanwhile, the manifestation of God's presence have already departed. Doing anything and everything for money. This is the parallel of how those people treated the temple of the Most High God. They treated it as a marketplace, a means to an exchange to get what they desired. So therefore, we saw that Jesus had judged them, just like he is judging us now. The very thing that the temple, the house of God was supposed to stand for, did not embody its full measurement. So eventually what happened was that the the temple was destroyed, fulfilling the end of a thing to birth out a new beginning, which is the foundation in the blueprint of Christ's church. In the subsequent passage, it shows us what happens when we immerse in our perennial selfishness. Whatever God withheld to do, it was a sign of judgment. Withheld due is equivalent to God shutting up the heavens. Based on biblical history, Whenever the heavens would shut up, it was a sign that the heart posture of a people needed to shift to a place of repentance, to a place of humility. Could it be that our very disobedience in our rejection of God is the cause of our judgment? Because of, because of our rejection, forth drought on all the labors of our hands when you really think about it these are physical signs of God's anger our sinful action our heart posture toward him and the Lord is saying for his remnant for his people to come out from among them, to come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Be separate, says the Lord. 
for you've been hidden in me. For I have called you forth in this hour. Be separate. So I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, Holy Spirit, like, how can, how can we be separate? Then the word do caught my attention. The prompting of the Holy Spirit had me do a bit of research undo, right? So come to find out that dew is one of the important water resources on the earth. It is beneficial to the survival, growth, and development of the plants based on the arid and semi-arid environment. Dew is a life-giving substance that covers the plants. And as the plants absorb the dew, thus giving it what it needs to survive. Isn't what isn't that what the Holy Spirit represents in our lives? Isn't the Holy Spirit a life-giving substance? The way that I envisioned it was that we were the plants and the Holy Spirit um, was the dew that covers that covers us. Meaning the Holy Spirit gives us what we need each day to survive as we continue to absorb the nutrients it has to offer. So when you think about it, in order for something to be absorbed, it needs to be in close proximity or directly connected to. So this means in order to survive, to grow and develop in the environments in which we have been planted, we need to be connected directly to the dew. And being directly connected to the dew is what enables us to be separate. The dew in this case signifies the Holy Spirit. Could it be that the earth has withheld its produce because we have a people that aren't acquiescing to the move in the will of God? So God has withheld his spirit amongst a people, amongst a church whose soul concerns and desires are the things of the world and not the things of his kingdom. Consider your ways, says the Lord. Repent of your wicked ways. God is so merciful. As the chapters unfolds, we get to see the redemptive state of the remnant. What is a remnant exactly? A remnant is a small remaining quantity of something. Let us take a let us take a look at verse 12. And it states, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Joshua, the son of Zohozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. The magnitude of what it actually means to follow Christ starts with obedience, fear, and denying of oneself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. 
and when wisdom enters the heart and knowledge is pleasant to the soul, discretion will preserve us. Understanding will keep us. In the subsequent verse, we see that the Lord of hosts responds with encouragement because the people responded with a willingness to obey. We can see that wisdom had entered their hearts. The singular purpose of wisdom is to enlighten one's eyes to the knowledge of Him. The eyes of the hearts were open, hence bringing the willingness to obey. When we obey God, He affirms. When we obey God, it allows us to, to step deeper into who He is, also who He is calling us to become. It starts off like this in Haggai 1, verse 13 through 15. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Zohazadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In this particular passage, we get to hear the Lord's message in which he commissioned to manifest within the remnant. What I found interesting was that it wasn't until their spirit were stirred that they came and worked on the house of the Lord. What this tells me is that God needed to figuratively open their eyes to awaken them out of their stupor. It's evident here that the stirring of the spirit came to ignite, to awaken the dormant promises in which God had already spoken, which would in turn bring a new perspective into doing the work of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This was truly a divine prompting of the Spirit of the Lord working within them. Here, we see a shift from the, be- from the beginning of the chapter when the Lord of hosts referred to them as these people to now being called their God. The word they are here brings a sense of belonging, that they now belong to him. You know, in every generation, the Lord preserves a remnant, a remnant that will always respond to him. They are a part of the selected few that has been chosen by God and have also chosen God because they love him. Not by their own merit, but have accepted Christ's righteousness. And it is within such people that God is stirring up, have stirred up the spirit of his his selected few to be a part of what he's doing on the earth. I don't know about you guys, but the phraseology I am with you brings such peace to my spirit. One of the promises of belonging to God is that his word says he will never leave you nor forsake you. The assurance that comes with knowing that if God is for you, who can be against you? The assurance of knowing that you have divine aid on your side. The assurance of knowing that your circumstances does not define you. But as a remnant, as a child of the Most High God, you shall soar high on wings like eagles. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not faint. 
because the Lord is with you. So my question then becomes, will you get to work? For God is making an appeal in this hour to your heart and your mind. And he says, will you consider your ways? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful time together. Jesus, just like you are one with your father, we are humbled that you have made us one with you. We thank you for opening our eyes to see and unclogging our ears to hear. We pray for those who will believe in you through our words, that they may believe by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it is you who have sent us to preach your good news. May their eyes be open to the work of your kingdom. As we go forth, trusting and knowing that you are with us, Father, for your word declares it. Father, we rejoice in you. Father, we rejoice in you. You have clothed us with garments of salvation. You have covered us with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Father, we rejoice in you always and we proclaim that Jesus is our King. We stand in what we are as children of the Most High God and we say, let your invisible kingdom be made visible, not because we are worthy of it, but because you are God. So Father, we thank you that you have already gone forth before us. We love you and we thank you we appreciate you. We honor you. We glorify you. We magnify you because you alone are God. So thank you guys for rocking with Jesus and I. Join us in a couple of weeks as we delve into part two of the series. My challenge for you guys this week is to really set your heart on your ways because that's exactly what considering means to set your heart on something. As we look at the brokenness of our nation and the world, we see a world that really needs Jesus. Now, more than ever, we need the sons and daughters of God to heed to the call of bringing wood down and build the house of the Lord. Not just the physical house, but the restoring of one's heart posture so we can reflect him in everything that we do. So before we go, if you don't know Jesus and you would like to know him or you have backslid, I want you to know that you can come back home. The Lord wants to realign you with his purpose and with his heart. If you would like to know the Lord, if you'd like the Lord to realign you with his purpose or you want to invite him into your heart, um, please say this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm sorry. My way of thinking have been skewed my way of life have been skewed please forgive me in this moment i invite you into my heart i believe your son jesus christ died for my sins that he came that i may have life and have it abundantly i want to know you i want to live for you Realign me with your heart. Realign me with your purpose. Teach me and show me your ways. For your word says that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. Breathe life into me. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is a special moment. 
For whenever the Holy Spirit comes, He comes with an assignment. There are supernatural transactions taking place. There is transformation taking place. Surrender your ways. Surrender your heart. And watch the Holy Spirit grip you. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. For there is no other place we would rather be. But here, in your presence, where we are made new, where we are made free, by the blood of the Lamb. So we thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, guys, <laughs> this concludes our first episode for the second season. Um, I hope you guys took a lot of notes. Um, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord grip your heart. I love you guys so, so much. See you guys next time.